It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, it's me, WWE Hall of Famer from the LOD, Road Warrior Animal. And who are you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta do this when? Now? I'm watching a match. What is now? Now is, oh, now. Yeah. Thanks. Hey, this is the Pharaoh. From Monty and the Pharaoh, I just want to say thank you to our subscribers as we now have hit the 10,000 plateau. Thank you to all our subscribers out there. But I'm going to ask our subscribers to take the next step for us and become a full-fledged YouTube Monty and the Pharaoh member. Yes, that's right, folks. You can check it out. We've got three different levels. Uh, there's free shirts. There's free autographs. There's all sorts of perks for our members. There is nothing more we enjoy than giving you this program. And to do that, we need your support and we appreciate your support. 
This is Jimmy Farrow, and don't forget to check out Monty and the Farrow every Thursday from Indie Music TV and on Cablevision here locally in New York. Long Island's number one pro wrestling broadcast, Monty and the Farrow. Later. Is that good enough for you? Can I finish this? Lesnar's killing him. I'm pissed. All right, welcome back to Long Island's number one pro wrestling broadcast. Monty Nefaro, produced out of Indie Music TV from Ron Konkuma, Long Island. It is another Thursday, and we welcome everybody aboard with this special show. A great interview coming up. First, I want to recognize our super producer, Mr. Matty Ice. Matty, good to see you again, my friend. We missed you. As always, great to be here. And to the right is the star of the show, Mr. Jimmy Farrow. Jimmy, how are you, bud? Hello, 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 hello. So if anyone doesn't know, uh, Jimmy and our guest were talking for about 20 minutes about the Three Stooges, <laughs> and I just was there you go. getting Party sick comes to, rain to on the old my rain. stomach. Yeah, well, you know, a good humor's hard to come by, and you clearly don't recognize it. Do so you know? I was... Um, we 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 were we were together today, and we were just rapping, and yeah. we were just talking about things, and it made me think. Okay, uh, I'm gonna hit you with this. So it made uh, me think about you. What I started thinking it's about been a long day, Smashing Pumpkins lead singer and owner of the NWA. Yeah, Billy uh, Corgi. Yeah, what about that's Billy? correct? What about Billy? So Billy, okay, in my opinion, all right, is almost uh, uh almost like you. So Billy Corgan and I are alike? Kind of. I, and I, I'll explain. I'll I explain. guess that's not bad, I, but it depends so on how you Jimmy, explain it. Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy's what? a musician, and he's a rocker. And, yeah, okay. You know, I, I keep preaching to Jimmy how maybe he should. Uh, CJ Duncan, Duncan, you have the entire Three Stooges collection on DVD. Yes! Bro, bro we love you, but don't, I don't no. know what the hell you're doing. I know what you're doing, having a great time. Where anyway, you so Jimmy. Yeah. What? Jimmy is a uh, is a rocker, and I keep telling him about going to the beach. But I saw I was looking across the table at Jimmy, and we're talking, and I'm like, he you reminds me of Billy Corgan. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, Billy Corgan. Every time, I, every time I see him, he's ghostly white. Exactly. Are you telling me I'm Casper? And, what are you trying wait, to well, tell hold me? Hold on, I'm not done. And, uh, and then, certainly not done. And then, Go on. Billy looks very uncomfortable. <laughs> Like you can never see Billy Corgan wearing beach trunks, no, and I'm thinking to myself, I can't see the Pharaoh wearing no, beach trunks. No, the Pharaoh doesn't show the Pharaoh's knees. What's wrong with you? Happy birthday, Mark! <laughs> We're glad to have you with us on your birthday. Happy birthday wishes, brother! Thank you for joining us, Whoa. Russell Campbell. You're What's the up, man. Russell? Welcome back, big guy. What up, Todd? It's Thursday again. And we're going to have another great show. You better believe it. Here it's going to go. be fantastic. Here so, anyway, yeah, I just want to see the Pharaoh <laughs> at the beach. How about 
the Pharaoh and Billy Corgan at the beach doing cannonballs. Billy Let's Corgan looks like he's constantly sweating. He's wearing a sweater in 100-degree weather. Do you like his band, at least? Yes. Yeah, Smashing Pumpkins but is good. But you can understand why people would not like his band. Would well, you agree? If they don't like it, it's probably because he has a unique voice, yes. and either it's for you or it's not. I love his voice. I think he's great, and I love his singer, you know, songwriting, and he's got great lyrics, and I think he's really cool. But you understand why people may you know. not like his music. Absolutely. Right? I love it's Bob different. Dylan, but if I can't understand why people don't like Bob Dylan, then something's got to be wrong with me. Well, what if people didn't like the Beatles? Something's wrong with them. Thank you. Thank yeah, you something's go. wrong with them. Well, you've got to be tone deaf. I mean, what? what, what? Hell, there's, they're too much in harmony. It's terrible. So I know you haven't God, been catching what? the A&E uh, documentaries, yeah. but the final one came out with uh, Bret Hart. And, right. Uh, Farrow doesn't have a television set. Well. So what did, what did you watch for me? Tell me about it. Was it good? Well, it's a, it, was, it was a usual documentary, like a Bret Hart one that you've probably seen before. I some... consider you the king of documentary watching. Oh, thank you. You know your thank shit, Thank you bro. very much. I, you know, there I go. i got to put a horn in on cable now. But how would you rank this documentary? Because you know your documentary. Fantastic. Good. So it was fantastic. Okay, tell me more. But it's, it's the same story, but, but the, it's funny how you could learn from wrestling everybody out there. It's like one important thing that... Hart said, right? He had he was carrying all this anger, right? He's been Over the Montreal to, screw job. He's been known to do that on a lot right? of things. Go on. He had a stroke. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then he said one day he just dropped the anger like this big bag of rocks towards the screw job. In just particular? period. Against he dropped, Vince. He dropped all his anger. All his anger. It was like he said he was carrying this like a weight for years. But it, the way he explains it, it's like. Think about all the weights we carry every day. Yeah, sure. And sure. what kind of stress we put under our body and how angry we are over right. a certain thing, whether right. it's about the presidency or, uh, you know, I stopped I don't worrying know. about that. Well, but, <laughs> I but, live. You, but you understand what I'm <laughs> I saying. I don't think about politics. You know, uh, you know. Try not to. And it's, I got you. It's, I got you. You was, know what I like amazing. in it, too? And I think I've probably told you this off air, but it's important that I throw this out there. The thing that reminds me of the Bret Hart, Vince McMahon, Montreal Screwjob situation as far as the long breakup and the years of resentment, and then finally they get back together. I've said it before. Here in New York, once upon a time, there was a legend named Yogi Berra, and George Steinbrenner was the owner of the Yankees, and they had a falling out, and it was a bad one. And it lasted, I think, 15, 16, 17 years. How long did it take Hart to return? Over a decade, right? Yeah, sure. You know, and uh, finally, two brilliant men who were, you know, famous for doing different things in the sport that they loved so much finally got back together and made up. So maybe that's, was that the moment that he singled out, that he let the hate go and let the resentment go? Because I know it happened for Yogi and George, yep. and I'm not surprised that it finally happened for Brett and Vince. They're irreversibly joined together in history forever. Make but, up! Again, I just, so I'm glad I, they did. I just think, though, that we all got to stop carrying so much baggage all uh, the time. That would be nice. And lighten up and laugh, and like Thursday nights, we get the laugh, and oh, I hope yeah. everybody out there gets a laugh. 802, yeah. you're not a, a huge yeah. pumpkin... Pumpkin fan. That's cool. He's 802 Blues. That's right. Smashing but 802 is Blues exactly... is a legend. Yes, a legend. he is. And, and Smashing Pumpkins is not exactly blues. Speaking of a legend, <laughs> I want to thank the band that sings the theme song oh, for Monty and the Farrow. Our own Jimmy Farrow, along with his partner, oh. Bart Griggs, make up the band Wisteria Hall. Yeah. Thank you. Catch us all over the place, right? Catch Wisteria Hall on their volume one, Tales from the Woods. 
yeah. Tales from the Woods, where yeah. you could get some what? really great songs. Dude, what? you should put a bottle of good fucking wine in my hand, because I'm, I'm well on my way. Here you are, uh, cursing. Uh, I am another horn. Mysterio Hall sings such great songs as In My Dreams, This Life, Not Far Behind, Here Comes the Rain. You can find their music on Spotify, Apple Music, and Reverb Nation. Oh. Your partner there, Bart, he's a kind of cute little fella. He's Are you going to start he's getting all googly-eyed for my partner? He's a what cute is little fella right Stop. there. Look at that cutie, huh? Oh, my God. Thank God we don't have an action figure of him. The girls love that guy. This is not good at all. The girls love Mr. Griggs. Don't take that in the bathroom with you. If you didn't know it, you are watching Long Island's number one pro wrestling bro. <laughs> Wow! Wow! Well, you said it was you are watching You're Long Island. him. You are is, watching Long Island's number one pro wrestling oh, yeah. broadcast. Monty Nefaro. You can catch Monty Nefaro on the Monty Nefaro YouTube page, and Monty Nefaro Facebook Live page. I. You can hear us on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Anchor. Catch us on Twitch TV, and if you're lucky enough to live in New York, right? And that's really I'm being facetious. Uh, Channel 115 every Tuesday from 7 to 7.30 and for early risers, 6 a.m. to 6.30. And if you're a late night person like the Pharaoh or yeah. Billy Corrigan yeah. and you like to come out of coffins and never see the sun, you can catch Monty and the Pharaoh from 2 a.m. to 2.30. And uh, we'll be right back <laughs> with us after this special break with our guest, the job man, Miss, Mr. Chris Moltier. Multera. Multera. And he's also known as Chris Curtis. All right, well, okay. Yeah, we'll see you in a sec. Sorry about that. (laughs) Do you treat your dog as part of the family? (laughs) Well, so do we. So why not celebrate your pup's birthday with the ultimate party box? Check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Party Pup Info and let us make your pup's party or any celebration perfection. You want to star in your own success? Call QuickCast, www.quickcast.com, 866-7-CAST-NOW. That's 866-7-CAST-NOW, QuickCast. Star in your own success. That's right, folks, Canine Corral. For all your dog daycare and overnight care, call 631-549-1544. That's 631-549-1544. All right, welcome back to Long Island's number one pro wrestling broadcast, Monty Nefaro, only seen here out of Indie Music TV. Straight from Long Island, New York, Uh. as we are very, very excited to have our special guest, Mr. Chris Moltier. To the show, Chris, how are you, buddy? Hey, guys, how are you? Thank you for having me. All right, well, we've got to end the show because you want to talk about the Three Stooges, so (laughs) thanks for joining us. (laughs) All right, Joe, I guess it's you and me, right? (laughs) Chris. Really, a serious question. How are you feeling about your old Green Bay Packers about to lose their quarterback? Wow. Goodbye. See ya. Really? Don't let the door hit you. For real? After all he's done yes. for you and that team, you're just going to kick him out the door? You know what? He's making $30 million a year, and for whatever reason, now he's not feeling appreciated. You know, they were wrong drafting Jordan Love. Thank you. But Thank no. you. Thank you know, here's the thing, I, and I was thinking about this. They can have seven quarterbacks on that team, and none of them are going to start. Rodgers is going to Rodgers is going to be playing for the next three years anyway. So, yeah, the general manager he 
he blew it, but you know what's done is done. But Rogers wasn't going to go anywhere. He he would have kept starting. So. Uh, I'll tell you, I'm I'm sure you probably do remember though that before Brett Favre, the Green Bay Packers had waited quite a while, and they were to me they were very blessed to go from Favre to Rogers. I don't think that the Packers should take for granted that the next guy is going to be anywhere near your previous two legends. I'll tell you that much. Uh, right. And here's the thing. No other team in the NFL um, has had, with the exception of maybe, well, I wouldn't even say that, Tom Brady when he was with the Patriots, but from 92 mm-hmm. all the way up until this past year, Packers have only had two starting quarterbacks. Right. The Bears have had, I don't know, 12. Right, right. You know, something right. like that. And other teams, too. But, um, yeah, they've been they've been pretty lucky having two of the best. That that's for sure. And it's yeah. it, it's it shouldn't come to this. It's it's like you know your ego. Yeah, everybody. You know they have an ego, and I and he thinks he should have been consulted and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. But you know that's that's why they have general managers to do that kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. you know. He, he thought, well, they didn't, you know, ask him what they, what he thought of, you know, drafting a quarterback. Well, they don't have to, you right. know. It's understood. He, yeah, he's thirty-seven years old. What if he would have got hurt? What if right. he would have broke his leg? Right. What if what if he got hurt like he did, like when Mike Sher- or uh, Mike McCarthy was coach, right. and um, and he he was done. So right. I mean, he's not twenty-eight years old anymore. I so just don't. I just don't think it would have been. T- too ridiculous or out there to go to him as a man and say, "Listen, I think I feel we feel as an organization you can give us two to three more years. Uh, you know, at least that's what we're saying for now. We would like to draft another quarterback. We're giving you a heads up. What would be the big deal? Whether we, if he doesn't like it, at least he's been told. There's nothing wrong with that. I right. agree with you. Right. You know, well, so. listen, here in New York, we got we're, Mike and I are Jet fans, and it's been Joe Namath since we were two years old, and life sucks. So." <laughs> <laughs> That's how we look at it. Uh, Chris, I wanted to ask you, why don't we, why don't we get off to the races here? Um, being a, you know, old school fans ourselves, it's very exciting to have you on. What made you decide to get into this business in the first place? Um, it's, it's pretty crazy. When I was uh, 16 years old, um, I was at a match in Milwaukee, which is where I was born and raised. And this was down at the... Uh, Milwaukee Arena, and the match was Dick Murdoch and Dusty Rhodes against Nick Bockwinkel and Ray Stevens. Wow. And Vern wow. Gagne had turned Rhodes and Murdoch babyface for a little while. And so during the match, <clears throat> take matches at one time used to be two out of three falls. So usually what would happen, and I think the fans were catching on, and so then they turn up one falls. But whoever won the first fall, um, would usually win the third fall and the fans would catch on. But what happened was Murdoch and Rhodes lost the first fall. In the second fall, they were getting their heat on Murdoch. And while they were getting their heat, there was a couple of false tags. Finally, Dusty came in, made that big comeback. And he, all he did was, you know, he did that kind of Muhammad Ali thing with his fists and got both of them bumped one of the guys out of the ring, threw the other guy in, hit him with that big elbow, and he jumped up in the air and he dropped that big elbow on mm. either Buckwinkle and Stevens or Pitt. I've never seen a pop like that in all my life. Even 
even if the crusher and the bruiser were in town. And I thought, you know what? This is what I got to do. I want to do this because I wanted to, I wanted to be the heel. I wanted to be the one where I'm the one who would generate the big pop for selling for a baby face. And that, that's what uh, made me want to become a wrestler down the road. What was it like experiencing the Dusty Rhodes aura in person as a young boy, you know, young guy watching something like that? Because while Bruiser and Crusher are absolutely amazing at what they did, you, you can't even compare the charisma to a Dusty Rhodes when it comes to showmanship. What was it like experiencing that for you? I mean, he clearly obviously inspired you. He did. Um, Dusty, Dusty made the greatest comebacks ever for a baby face. Once... Once he would get, you know, they would, if he was in a tag or he was in the singles, and once he made that comeback and those guys flew for him, there, there was, even, as, even as, as somebody in the business, that's something that I really, really, like, wow. I wish I could have wrestled him. And I would have, too. Mm. I, I would have I done a job for him in three minutes if that's what it was. And, and um, that's what it's all about, popping those guys making them look, you know, stupendous and getting the reaction from the crowd, sending them home. Um, I, I wish I could have wrestled Dusty in his prime. How did you go about getting breaking into this business exactly? Did you find a trainer? Did you, you know, how do you eventually wind up in places like the AWA and for Vince McMahon? Um, what happened was I was actually going to uh, a technical school and um, for photography. And um, I was taking pictures, and what I wanted to do was actually work for a, a wrestling magazine if I couldn't get into the business as a wrestler. And so, to make a long story short, um, a guy was running these little outlaw shows in town, so I was, I was taking pictures. And he told me, he said, hey, I, I can't pay you, but you look like you're a big enough guy. Would you be interested in learning how to wrestle? You know, but I'll, I'll use you as a manager first. And I thought, wow, sure. So that's what I did. And then fast forwarded a couple months down the road, there was a guy in Milwaukee, and you just showed a picture of him where I was throwing him in the in the into the turnbuckles of the ropes. Tom Stone, um, he's the one who was instrumental in breaking me in, getting me to the AWA, Kansas City, St. Louis, Mid South, and the WWF. He was the guy that the office would go to when they needed guys. And so um, he was so instrumental in a lot of our careers, getting us to the, to the big time. And I mean, he, I'll never forget him for it because he, you know, I'll, I'll always be grateful for what, for what he did. So. Training difficult for you in the beginning. Did you question your uh, decision to try to get into this business? No, because, you know, I was, I was athletic. If, if I would have went through Vern's camp, um, I don't know if I could have done it because Vern, Vern tortured you. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, he really did. I mean, you got a, when you got a fireman's carry a guy up, you know, four or five flights of stairs and, you know, like you're going through the, you know, the fire department training and, and, you know, free squats and, and all that kind of stuff. But with, uh, with uh, Tom, his real name is Steve Hall, you know, we learned how to bump. And that's all we did. We it, it was four months of five days a week, two to three hours a day, 
and we learn how to bump, we learn how to take, you know, fall, go over the top rope, learn holds. It was, it was all learning how to protect ourselves, learning wrestling holds, learning the basics. Um, so in essence, it was pretty easy. Um, you know, it wasn't really a, a hard thing. Yeah, we were sore, but, um, I think I learned, you know, from one of the best as far as, you know, they didn't have to beat the hell out of you um, to learn the business. We just wanted to be smart. And he knew when you were ready to take you up, you know, to either Minneapolis or, or down to Kansas City or St. Louis. And eventually, um, you know, I was in the business, you know, seven or eight years before I went to, uh, you know, work for New York. So. So, so Chris, you know, not many people get the opportunity to speak to someone that got to work in the AWA, especially as early as you did. Uh, what was it like working for Vern, and what kind of person was Vern? First time I met Vern, I, it was like meeting the president. Um, the guy was uh, <laughs> the guy was an absolute legend. Um, I was if Vern didn't like you he'd get rid of you bottom line. He would tell Wally Carbo, the guy who booked us for TV or house shows, he'd say, I don't want this guy back ever again. And I've heard him say that to guys. I was able to work for Vern for 10 years. Um, he, he protected that business. He made it as legit as you could make it without being really legit. Um, and it was an honor because I grew up watching the AWA when I was a kid and then to be working for these guys, um, was like, man, it was like going to Hollywood, you know, me getting my big break. And, and, um, so he was, he was so credible, um, in what he did. And he had a lot of guys that, that, you know, were shooters, um, that really knew what they were doing. We had Brad Riggins, we had Mad Dog Vachon, we had Billy Robinson, Larry Hennig, um, you know, those guys, Evan Johnson, you know, these guys, some of these guys were Olympians, uh, Laurent Susi. That's a picture of the guy that I'm like tearing his eyes out. He was, a an alternate on the Olympic team. So he had his, he had his guys and I learned a lot of, you learn a lot of, uh, on the job training, you know, a lot of good amateur stuff. You learn how to, you can learn how to hook, meaning mm-hmm. you get a guy like Billy Robinson where, you know, if if uh, you wanna you wanna hurt a guy, you grab a joint, and you learn from guys like that. You learn how to protect yourself, and and um, so it was it was really really valuable as far as um, the basics and you know learning to be tough and that kind of thing. So, I'll, so Chris, yeah. you mentioned Billy Robinson, right? We had Ken Patera in studio. Now, as fans growing up and just fans now, right, the legend of Billy Robinson is exactly what you said, right? Mm. The guy could stretch you, break you in half. Oh, yeah. But according to Mr. Patera, Billy Robinson really wasn't as tough as he claimed to be and actually was taking a task. What do, what do you know about Billy? Um, I don't know. I, I've heard, you know, sometimes guys like to exaggerate. I, I don't know exactly, you know, I, I heard about the thing with uh, um, Sergeant Slaughter when he was Bob Remus and Baron Von Raschke. Um, 
But my first match, I had a match back when I, in July of 79, and I was still fairly new. Uh, we had a TV, we had a two out of three fall match, and I knew he was rough on the new guys. And so um, I went up to, to Bockwinkle and Stevens. Those two guys were kind of like my mentors. They were like, you know, super helpful. They were just really, really good guys. And he just said, well, just listen to Billy, you know, and, and you'll be okay. So before the match, I went up to him. I introduced myself, and I said, hey, Billy, I'm Chris Curtis. I, I got you today. He goes, well, nice to meet you. And so we went over our match. And the beginning, of, the only part I really remember is the beginning was we lock up. I get him in the corner. Um, I hit him with a forearm in the chest, and I go to, to Beal and You'll throw him. Well, that's what I did, and he put on the brakes, and he called me a couple of names that I really can't repeat. Mm-hmm. And then he he decided he was going to stretch me. He changed everything. And so he um, picked me up, slammed me, picked me up again, gave me – he's got a backbreaker that looks like he can break you in half. Um, he gave me one of those, put me in a Boston Crab, and I tapped right away, and I gave up because he was going to try to break my back. I knew he was going to. Well, they canceled the second fall, and so I went upstairs and I told Wally Carbo, I said, "You know, this is bullshit." I said, "I didn't come up here to get to get stretched. I I don't need this." And then Bachwinkle came over and he said, "Hey, man, don't." He said, "He just initiated you, and um, you made it. So don't quit." I had him about four years later, and, and uh, I said, hey, Billy, remember me? And he said, uh, yeah. He said, uh, you want revenge on me tonight, right? And I said, uh, no, man, I just want to have a good match. That's all. He gave me most of the match, and then he you know, he stopped me, and he beat me at the end. And so um, it was – he did that to a lot of guys. He, I don't know if Vern gave him the directive to do it just to see if I can handle it, but um, – that was that was it. He's he's so quick. It's just it, it, trying to get a hold on him um, is almost impossible. Mm-hmm. So as far as like guys stopping him in his in his tracks and and uh, I I don't know. I I wasn't there, but I guess if it happened, it happened. Chris, you spoke earlier of having to you know. When you, when you work with guys or you learn from guys who can hook, you learn to protect yourself. And I thought that it was interesting, those words, protect yourself, because, and I know Barry Horowitz is going to get mad at me, but as a jobber, after all, your book is Job, man, um, is, is your job much more dangerous than a mid-level card guy, an intercontinental title holder guy, a main event guy, because of the fact that you've got to take some serious bumps, or is the answer just obvious at this point? I'm just curious. No, you're you're exactly right, Joe. Um, you know we're we're kind of in a vulnerable position. Um, we were out there to make the big guys look good. You know the stars, the mid card guys. Just take care of us. You don't have to go out there and kill us. Mm-hmm. We're there to make you look good. We wouldn't be there. They would not bring us in if we sucked. You know, there's a few guys out there that shouldn't be out there, but sure. those guys are no longer. Mm-hmm. Um, but I went out there and I told them, I said, whatever you want to do, that's fine. You know, I'll sell the heck out of it for you. Um, 
you know, but don't, you know, if we're kind of in a vulnerable position, um, you know, the guy's going to come off and drop a knee on us, you know, don't come down and cave my chest in or cave my face in or, you know, there's, there's no reason for it. Tito Santana probably said it back. So I worked Tito one time in Milwaukee and Tito said, he, you know, I pulled his hair a little bit hard and he said, Hey man, he said, uh, you don't really have to pull it. Just touch it and I'll go back with it. And that's what it's all about. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, you just, and, and we're kind of like, it's kind of like a double-edged sword. You know, if a guy takes advantage of you, um, if you know, one of two things, you can, you can either take it out on them in the ring. It's going to screw up the match. You're going to get fired. They won't have you back anymore because you hurt one of their stars or you, you messed it up. Or if you go in the back in the dressing room and you kamikaze him with a chair in the back of his head, um, you know, you might go to jail for assault. But it's it's kind of it's kind of like a fine line. The only thing what really worked out good, and I I really never had any other issues with anybody over the years except that time with Billy. Um, but we had to deal with the fans, so knowing how to protect yourself um, if some fan wanted to, uh, you know, take a shot at you. We had that to, um, to back us, you know, the, how, how to defend ourselves. And so that, that was a big thing. And there's nutty, there's nutty fans out there. There's, there's some crazy ones, that's for sure. I, I bet. I'm sure you came across quite a few. Let's, let's discuss the one that, Vern Gagne messed up on the one, the great one that Vern Gagne let get away. And of course, you have some memories, I am sure, of Monty and the Pharaoh's personal all-time favorite. Tell us about Hulk Hogan. Hogan, uh, he was probably my favorite opponent. Um, he was super nice. He took care of you out there. Um, super light. Hogan had a had a habit. What he would do is is when he would hit you in the head. He put his hand on the top of your head, or on your forehead, and he hit his own hand. He wouldn't even touch you. And, you know, he's just big and strong enough that when he, you know, if he would slam you or he would suplex you, he would just come down. And he would, he was the ultimate job guy's dream to wrestle. Really? Oh, my God. He was, just, wow. he was just the most wonderful opponent. I mean, I could have wrestled him every day of the year. And, uh, not have to worry about it. Um, as far as what Vern screwed up, in my opinion, they should have given him the strap back in 82. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. They reversed it because, number one, in this business, after a while, and in any kind of any kind of sport, you get sick and tired of seeing the same guys. It was back and forth between Vern and Nick with the title. They should have given it to Hogan because – the people wanted something different, and they he wanted, would have They wanted him. They wanted him. They yeah, really did. They did. And if Vern didn't want to give him the title because he was, you know, he was squabbling about his payoffs, you know, for for uh, shirts, you know, t-shirt money in Japan and, and whatever else, and he wanted a, a real wrestler, you know what? Forget it because they could have drawn, they could have sold out everywhere. And if Hogan had the title, 
um, they could have certainly worked out different angles. I mean, you know, with I mean, Heenan had Patera, Bobby Duncombe, Nick Bockwinkle, um, Blackjack Lanza. They could have worked out, you know, storylines and angles where they could have come back for over a year, a year and a half, and the title wouldn't have mattered. It's just, you know, the storylines that they could come up that would have sold out. And Vert really missed his opportunity, and Hogan thought, well, you know what? I'm getting a call from Vince. I'm going in with him, and I can't blame him. You know, I mean, I love working for the AWA, and I love working for Vern, but it was a bad business decision on his part. And um, so I don't know if he, he would never publicly regret it, but probably deep down he did. What would what would Chris Curtis say to the Internet fan, who, by the way, I believe is in the minority. He just has a very loud opinion. What does Chris Curtis have to say to the fan who says that Hulk Hogan was a crap wrestler and ruined the business? Um, doesn't matter if he was a if he was a crap wrestler. What matters is that um, he drew money. That's what this business is all about. Right. It's drawing money. You know, um, <laughs> who cares? Right. Um, so the people were enamored with him. He was just so big, so different. You know, and here, and the funny thing is, is I worked guys before that were like Olympians and, you know, they would tell me like, I don't know why I have to do a job for this guy. And, you know, I could beat him straight out and I say, well, you know what, that, you're not in the amateurs anymore. This is professional. And Mm. it's, they have to get away from that mindset that they can beat this guy, they can beat that guy. Forget it. I don't know if you guys remember a guy named Danny Hodge. Yep, sure. Danny Hodge was probably the toughest wrestler ever, professional or amateur. Um, Danny did jobs. <laughs> and, right. and if it's right. and if, if it's a legitimate shoot, nobody, but nobody was going to beat Danny. But he he did what the business wanted to do. He was in it for such a long time. And there was other guys, Joe Scarpello, mm-hmm. um, who was in Iowa. You know, he was a four-time uh, Big Ten champion. You know, this is way back in the – around when Vern was an amateur and he was an Olympian. And, he, you know, he, he did jobs. That's – who cares? It's pretend. It's not – It's a show. It's the out, Exactly. The right. outcomes are not – real they're all predetermined Mm -hmm. and you're in it to draw money that that's all it is and if you if you're with that attitude that i can beat this guy and i'm not going to do a job for him well you're in the wrong business sorry how much do you think that Vern gagne's purist uh, approach towards pro wrestling uh screwed him up with hogan do you do you feel like his traditional (laughs) values got in the way because hulk hogan was clearly a huge change in pro wrestling and Vern just didn't want it or didn't recognize it. Or what do you think that was? He, um, he didn't want it. Hmm. Plus he had that, he had that thing where, um, Hogan, Hogan was selling t-shirts oh, yeah. and he wanted, uh, he wanted some, uh, Hogan's money from, <laughs> money, which was like, <laughs> it was, it was just so stupid. Vern was a millionaire anyway. <laughs> you know, and, and it's like, you know, Bill Watts was sort of like that too. Okay. You know, Bill was, uh, Bill was like, you know, he always had tough guys and everything. But guess what? Um, 
junkyard dog was not a wrestler. And he, he could only do one, you know, a couple of things, put a headlock on a guy. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's like, but so what? Right. If you right. drew money, right. who cares? That, yep. Yep. That's all it is. Yep. yep. Speaking of the plethora of mistakes that Mr. Ganya made throughout his tenure as the owner of the AWA, uh, we're huge fans of the adorable one, Adrian Adonis and Jesse the Body Ventura. Oh, yeah. Uh, what kind of relationship did you have with those two gentlemen? And you could tell us a story about them. Um, I love Jesse. Jesse was, he was, here's the thing, you know, when he, when he was in the AWA, he was, he was a cool guy. When we went to New York, him and Hogan both still were nice guys to us. They remembered us. They stopped and they said hi, and they they never had any arrogance like they're better than us. They but they were just cool, cool guys. You know, no, I don't care what anybody says about them. You know, that's that's their issue. Um, Jesse was he was just awesome. Um, you know, I, I if you guys remember uh, Black Saturday from nineteen eighty four. Oh yeah, um, oh yeah. I was at that. Um, that card when Vince invaded Minneapolis and I had Jesse and um, mm-hmm. but Jesse is just, you know, he's just a really, really cool guy. He's, he's got some different ideas on things these days, but you know what? So what, you know, but he was always cool with us. Um, Adrian, um, I, I don't like, I don't like, um, you know, dirty laundry about any guys. And Adrian was, you know, Adrian, I guess was Adrian. He, he had his own deal. And, and um, but you know, is, is I never had a problem with him. Um, you know, I worked him in a tag match when him and Jesse first got together, when it came from Portland back in 79, um, Adrian was a hell of a worker. He, he was a great, great worker. And then I had him in Milwaukee again, you know, in the singles. And, um, actually, first as a singles, and they brought him in as a baby face, and then they turned him heel with Jesse, and they teamed him up. But I never had a problem with Adrian. Um, you know, he – I know he, other guys had issues with him. Um, I, I can only speculate, but I don't want to, you know, I, I don't want to say that about all right. Yeah, it sounds like you're fairly emotional about Adrian. We 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 um, affected deeply when he passed away. I mean, after all, I think this is him you're grabbing here <laughs> on your cover of your book. Yeah, that's, that's just that's Adrian and I. But no, I um no, that's that's Lawrence Susi on the back of the new oh, book okay. is the with Adrian on oh, the other one. Oh, never mind. <laughs> no, there's the other book. You know these but sunglasses. You, know, you can't make out shit. <laughs> yeah, but um, no, he. There we go. He kind of like self-destructed, right? And that's that's the sad part. I mean, there's a lot of guys out there that that self-destructed that were like killer workers in the ring. Kurt Hennig and mm. Eddie Guerrero, and you know, and it's that's the part that's that's really sad. So, was there anybody you 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 actually like you know loathed getting into the ring with? You know, being the fact that you usually were 
making them look as good as possible. Anybody too rough with you besides Billy? You know, obviously that was supposedly an initiation, but was there anybody you saw over the years where you're like, oh man, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta perform with this guy again? No, really not at all. The only time you're lucky, <laughs> I, I, yeah, right? You're I lucky. Mean, uh, well, you know, there was guys um, that they. We had our Milwaukee guys that would go to do um, WWF TV tapings, and there was a couple of guys that really, really were jerks. You know, Dino Bravo. I worked Dino when he was a babyface in the AWA. Dino, he he had one of our guys, and after the match, after he pinned him, he'd stomp on his face and break his nose. He did that like three times, and for no reason at all. And then the Iron Sheik, um, he put him in that the camel clutch and while he'd have the guy's arms like that and the guy would be vulnerable you know after he would like give up the sheep would release his arm and he would smash his face right into the mat mm. break his nose um you know that that kind of stuff is uncalled for um and then the road warriors um i wouldn't want to wrestle them because they were so green when they first got in the business that it's like, I'll be damned if I'm getting in the ring with these guys because Ole Anderson, the booker down in Georgia, just told them to, you know, to go all out and kill anybody. And, and even the guys that were on top didn't want to wrestle me because they were so green. They didn't know any better. They just listened to the office and told them they did what Ole said. And um, But only one other time, and it wasn't really too bad. I was wrestling uh, – Tom Stone and I were wrestling the Hart Foundation, and Bret Hart um, got pretty stiff out there. He was laying in some some elbows and, and kicks that were they were connecting pretty good. And so now I would have expected that from Nightheart, like who was the crazy one, but right. he was like right. crazy. Yeah, I mean he was a legitimate nut job, but he was like super light. Bret, for whatever reason, you know was a real jerk that night. So I went back to the dressing room and I said, Hey, Brett, what was that all about? He goes, well, you were kind of heavy on a slam and, you know, um, I just had to like, you know, let you know. So I'm thinking, really, I looked at the match and it was, I didn't see anything, but yet here's a guy who blames Bill Goldberg when he gave him that super kick. Right. And he claims that that may have caused his stroke. And, you know, now all he does is complain about that all the time and, and whatever else. And He didn't seem um, too concerned for you for you guys that night, though. I got you. No, one and one of the other guys that I teamed up with, you know, Stone, you know, Brett let him have it one night, too. I mean, mm. he really, he really, uh, you know, he really sputted him. And, and um, it's just, just, there's no... There's no reason for it. You don't have to do that kind of stuff. If a guy is, like, really making you look bad, that's one thing. Then beat the shit out of him, you know. But don't, um, you know, and then finish him off right away. Just put him in something, finish him off, and be done with it. But you don't have to go out there and, and hammer the heck out of a guy for just because, you know, if, if a guy didn't sell something completely right or you can go up all the way for a slam, it happens. I mean, it just it happens. We'll be right back with the job man after this quick commercial break. See you in a sec.
Hi, it's Josh from Under the Table Hot Sauce. I'm here with my friend, the star of the show, Jimmy Farrow. Yeah, what's up, JB? Nah, nothing. It's been a hot summer, and for all your barbecue needs, you can go to UndertheTableHotSauce.com. 13 unique flavors to choose from, created and bottled in a Long Island kitchen. UndertheTableHotSauce.com. Let's go chow, JB. Let's do it. All the flavor, twice the burn. M&J Video Games and Collectibles. Sport and non-sport cards, wrestling items, autographed items. We buy, sell, and trade. M&J Video Games and Collectibles, located at 1049 Queen Street, Southington, Connecticut. Call us at 1-860-479-9223 or 860-93-GAMES. M&J Video Games and Collectibles. All right, welcome back to Long Island's number one pro wrestling broadcast, only seen here out of Indie Music TV in Ron Conkerman, New York. Our special guest is the job man, Chris Curtis. You could get his book on Amazon. I got to tell you people, if you're a wrestling fan, another excellent book. I love reading excellent books about behind-the-scenes stuff and just about the thoughts of the person wrestling. So we are honored to have this guest in here a quick special shout out lee cole is watching lee will be on next week with a possible special reveal that he wanted to share with monty uh, and the pharaoh nice. so chris um we got a fan out there we spoke a little earlier can you just tell us about your one run-in with the so-called ultimate warrior um well it really wasn't a run-in but we like i said we were uh we're in Illinois, um, and gosh, I, could, I wish I could remember the. It was the uh, capital of Illinois, and we, we were doing TV. And state athletic commission always had the uh, the doctors take our blood pressure, and he was standing in front of me, and uh, doctor took his blood pressure, and he just kind of like looked up at him and <laughs> kind of looked at. Uh, Thing Danny was here. I, I need to redo this again, and because uh, he was pretty jacked, I mean, really jacked. So whatever he was on, um, but he, he was fine. I mean, you know, he, he said hi and everything. He didn't, you know, he didn't talk with that, you know, that stupid, you know, his cartoon character look. But he, he was okay. You know, um, I. I never had to work the guy. And even if I had to work the guy, um, I, I wouldn't have cared. Um, probably the only thing that I don't, I wouldn't have liked was, you know, these guys, when they would press slam you over their head and instead of like going over, landing on your back, they would drop you, you know, face first. Right. Right. And it's just like, man, yeah. <laughs> how, how would he like to go? Like, seven feet in the air, you know, face first. And, um, you know, that's a, that's a recipe for, you know, breaking an elbow, a knee or whatever else. And guys hated that, but they didn't care. You know, they, they just did it. And, oh, well, you know, I'll move on to the next guy. And that's the kind of stuff that, um, um, uh, one of the road warriors did that to, uh, Kurt Hennig. They picked him up. They thought he was going to get. He thought he was going to get press slammed on his back. Well, they dropped him, 
And he said, if the guy tries it the next time, he's going to grab his nose and pull his nose off his face. Wow. He was really ticked. Mm. Yeah. So it, it's, it's that kind of stuff. You know, they, they want to do it for effect, but, but they don't realize that they're doing that with a human being. And, you know, we're not like granite. We're not steel. You know, we got bones and everything that, that could break. And, and uh, you know, um, and even if they did that with a guy that they're working an angle with, if they hurt him, well, they're going to lose money because they're not going to have that opponent to work anymore. So you got to take care of each other. That's that's what it's all about. Monsoon said that too. You have to take care of your opponent. You have to work together, not go out and hurt each other. Even if you don't like each other, you don't try to hurt the other guy. You know, Chris, so. I got I got a two part question here because just thinking about what you're saying. Number one, do you think today's wrestling needs the squash match to be brought back with the jobber? Because, again, I think it was important to wrestling back in the day, and I think it could be important now. And then the second part of the question is this. Have you ever seen a case where someone just said, screw this, I'm tired of this guy taking liberties on me when I'm supposed to be doing something and just took business into his own hands and just made the star look like shit? Um, the squash matches... There, there would be no problem doing that um, as long as those guys, you know, took care of the jobbers. You know, I used to love studio wrestling, old studio wrestling. I There was just something about that as opposed to doing, you know, taping TV um, in a large venue. Um, but, yes, I, I think that they should have never gotten away with that. Now it's all kind of like house show stuff. It's all talk, 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 talk. Mm. Um, as far as a guy taking it out on another guy, um, he'd be done. He would be blackballed out of the business because you, you hurt the guy, you know, um, well, do you, you ever heard the story about Danny Spivey and Adrian? Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, Adrian was like real stiff with him. And, you know, um, Danny got sick of it. And Danny laced him really good. And Adrian's lucky that, I, I, according to Bob Orton, Adrian was never the same after Danny got a hold of him. Um, I don't know if anybody knows about what happened, but Adrian, Adrian was working real stiff. Danny Spivey is about 6'6", 270, 280. He's huge. Yeah. <laughs> he, he's pretty tough dude. And uh, not forget, he's the so, American Starship Eagle. Oh, right. With yeah. Coyote. There you go. Look. Hey, there you go. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Go ahead. But he, yeah. But Adrian came back, and, and uh, I think Danny did something out there. Adrian came back and tried to double leg him, leg dive him. Danny hit him split his whole side of his face wow. and almost killed him. Wow. And so wow. they had the same day I'm taking him to the hospital. Mm. Um, so not, I don't know if anything ever happened to Danny, um, but, you know, it, it just, I don't know if it's ever really happened 
you know, that's that's probably one of the worst stories that you know I ever heard. But if if I was working a guy, let, let's say when I that time that I worked Billy Robinson, and I went back and he's in a dressing room and you know he's just sitting there, and all of a sudden I decide to um, take a chair and hit him on the top of the head and just beat the heck out of it, you know, on his head and send him to the hospital. Number one, I'd probably go to jail. Number two, I would have been blackballed out of the business. So it's kind of like you talk to the guy say, Hey man, you know what? Lighten up. Just, Mm. there's no reason for it. That's why you talk things out. You you know, you don't go out of your way because once you do something to somebody physically, you can't take it back. There's no, you know, rewind everything, but if you talk it out, you might be able to, to work it out. And sometimes that usually works out. Happened with me and Billy worked it out, you know, Right. Yeah. Russell Campbell asks out there, I don't know if you can answer this, but he said, did Ric Flair throw jobbers a couple extra bucks out of his own pay? Um, that I don't know, but um, Ric Flair was always, he was one of the guys that was always really good to jobbers. I never wrestled him, but he always respected him. He always gave him, you know, a match. Harley Race was another one who was really good to the job guys. Um, Nick Bockwinkle was really good to the job guys. Oh, my favorite, Bockwinkle. Yeah, Mike doesn't but, like Bockwinkle either. I just figured no. I'd throw that in. Stooges and Nick Bockwinkle. What's going on? You know, speaking, you're speaking about the AWA, okay? Look, I understand, again, this is, you know, wrestling fans flip out when I say this, but... It's like I just never got the Bockwinkle thing. I, I guess I understand he was a great wrestler, but I just That's never fair. got it. I just That's couldn't fair. imagine people flying to the to your local stadium to see Nick Bockle in the, in the main event. You wanna you wanna smack me down right now, Chris, and tell me I'm out of line? <laughs> no, you know there are some guys that that <laughs> like and don't like, and um, sure, you know. But when he was with Heenan. That just amped oh, yeah. it up oh, yeah. even more. Oh yeah. yeah, but but as far as like Flair, um, I heard that he did. Sometimes he requested, you know, certain guys. He would request like George South down in um, the Carolinas. Okay, was good. You know, some guys would say, "Hey, I, I want to work this guy," and and uh, um, but he Flair never went out of his way to you know to hurt anybody. And, Maybe he did. Maybe he gave him like, here, here's an extra twenty five bucks or fifty bucks to, you know, for putting me over like that. Um, I would have asked it, for one of his escorts. Forget that twenty five or fifty bucks. Yeah, it's funny. Give me one of Rick Flair's it's funny, leftovers. It's funny we're talking about this because uh, <laughs> right, and uh, I'll take a backdrop over the top rope for it. But you know, you you think you think you're right, but we have a uh, baby doll in studio in a couple of weeks, mm. and for what I understand, when baby doll used to travel with Flair, Flair paid for nothing. Wow. So, woo. So maybe it maybe it's all not true. Who knows? Who knows? Chris, I, let's get to the title of your book. Uh I, I, a lot of wrestlers hate the term jobber. I've we're actually afraid to say it to certain guys. Oh, absolutely. So absolutely. I I got to ask you, especially Barry. Why job man? Why how do you feel about, you know, the backlash towards the term and why job man, Chris? Tell us. Because I think it's it's unique. In the name, um, it's like that's what I was. 
I was a job man. I had no problem with it. It's kind of like it. I think it drew, draws attention mm-hmm. really good. Um, you know, and and that's what we did. You know, you know the the guys who had the finishes. They never came up to me and said, "Hey, uh, by the way, you're doing an enhancement tonight." Or they never even said you're doing a job for so and so. You already know whoever you're going to work. Um, you're going to do a job for if it's a mid card guy or whatever. Now, if it's another guy that you know will do jobs, you might you know do a 15 minute Broadway in the opener or something like that. But I, I mean, that's that's that term has been around forever. Um, CJ Duncan the- says it's better than being called a ham and egger. Um, yeah, that's that's a little. That's a little demeaning. That's you know where you get that from is Heenan. Heenan called used to call guys ham and eggers, right, and right. you know. But guess what? You, you take it in stride because you know what? It's showbiz. It's like you you can't you can't take a lot of this stuff personally. Um, you know, if if they said, well, okay, Curtis, you're you're an enhancement talent, okay. Then I guess I'm an enhancement talent, but guess what? I'm a job guy too. So whatever. I mean, some but some guys just you know they just my goodness they're they're so opposed to you know that label and it's it's not really derogatory or demeaning or anything. It's just it's just a term that was given to us in in the business. That's and, all. Andrew Barton says, "Call yourself the carpet. Call yourself a carpenter." What do you think of that? Um, what is that supposed to mean? Is that supposed I, to mean? I, no? I guess maybe instead of jobber, you could be a carpenter or a plumber. Yeah, <laughs> and wear polka dots. Well, oh, let, oh, yeah. let, let, let's 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 get a little serious <laughs> here, right? Um, oh, you're really you're. You just, that Farrell just caught on to that. No, one. I'm, I'm processing <laughs> sapphire. Sapphire. Um, oh boy. You don't call me sapphire. No, not you. I'm thinking about him with his with <laughs> sapphire. Actually, I've been trying to forget him for thirty years. We, Thanks we've, a lot, Mike. We've spoken a few times, Chris, and you're a very well grounded man. And we know a few ex wrestlers, actually quite a few, that are pretty well grounded. But um. Why does it seem more seem more than not that these wrestlers, after they're done, are just broke dick and they've got nothing left? What's going on? What's the issue here? Um, Lifest- lifestyle. Yeah, they didn't, they, probably. Okay. Um, I think like the bigger names. Um, there was one guy in particular that um, I remember reading about. He had to have surgery, and um, I mean, and then he he goes, he wanted a, he started a GoFundMe page to help him pay for his surgery. And I'm thinking, what, what did you do with all your money? You know, when you're making, you know, four hundred grand a year, um, what did you do with your money? You know, other guys, um, you're probably right could be the lifestyle they didn't put you know they didn't they didn't have a backup plan i mean in this business if you don't have a backup plan and this is all you know um and if you get hurt um whatever or you get fired and and there's no other place to go you got to find something to do Mm -hmm. you know and especially if you have a family but i think it's 
I think it's it, it it's just the way you you know you you save your money. Um, so I know that I don't know exactly you know what they did for expenses. What you know what Vince did. I don't know if you know if these guys are flying around. You know I'm sure they're playing. I don't know if they have to pay for their own flights. Mm. Um, they probably have to get their own you know rental cars and hotels and stuff. But even then, guys would you know they get four to a car or four to a room. And so you have to, you know, and when you're making maybe 10 grand a week, um, you should be able to. Yeah. Think about what you just said. 10 grand a week. I'm thinking about it. And when they go to Japan, if they're big, like, you know, they could be making 15 or 20,000 a week and everything is paid for. Everything is paid for, you know, I mean, it's like, you know, when Baba or Anoki would bring guys in, especially Baba, guys like Stan Hansen, everything was paid for. Brody, everything was paid for. Yeah. The Funks, everything was paid for. They took care of it. and have to worry about anything. So, yeah. And then you see these guys that are they're still, you know, wrestling and they're 67 years old or 70 years old. I'm thinking, Jesus, you can't even walk. You're, you know, it's like, we don't look good in spandex anymore. I'm sorry. But, right. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. our mind says, yeah, we can still do it. But our bodies say, no, you mm-hmm. can't do it. You shouldn't do it. Todd B. Kraft says out there, ham and egg, now I'm hungry. Here's a great question. <laughs> um, Andrew Barton has a good question for you, and I actually really love this question, but I'm going to change it a little bit. What? Who is the best best jobber in the history of professional wrestling? Well, oh, wow. Wow. Um, I would say... Think about it, Chris. The list is long. Me and the Farrow will have a list, too. We yeah. might have to do a show about it, so yeah. think about it. I, I'm going to tell you something. If it comes down to really, really making guys look like they are just out of this world ridiculously strong. Remember the Mulkey brothers? Oh yes. A lot of fans oh, of the Mulkey brothers. Yes. They, they were, they were human um, paper airplanes. <laughs> they were, I, think, I think it was Randy Mulkey. That guy could get a clothesline and he could do a three, a backward 360. These guys were just, they were unbelievable. And, um, you know, there's there's other guys. There's another. Um, you know, Barry was a good Barry Horowitz. He was he was really good. He was a really good jobber. Um, where, where does Frankie Williams thank rank? You. I was just about to ask that. Frankie Williams um, to me is one of the greats of the early '80s. Period. <laughs> Put him in the Hall of Fame. What do you think of Frankie? You know, truthfully, I never saw Frankie wrestle. I saw that issue with uh, with him and Piper. Okay. But, uh, he tried. He tried really hard. He tried. <laughs> yeah. You know, and and um, yeah, I've I I really, I, you know, I I want to be honest. I I've never really saw, you know, Frankie Russell. Um, How about Johnny Rods, Jose Estrada? Yes, those guys. Those guys were were really good. And and here's the thing about those two guys. You know, they were. Uh, what would happen was. Don't forget about Vince- Orange Cassidy, Chris. Oh by the God, way. Orange Cassidy. Here we go again. Sorry, Chris. We love to bust on Orange Cassidy. Never, never heard of him. Yeah, but, well, that's uh, because uh, he's in AEW right now, sucking. Oh. <laughs> so, it's a yeah. he's a current guy. 
He's a current guy. Rods and Estrada were really good. Those guys uh, were Vince Sr.'s, like, you know, when they would bring new guys in, you know, because they were usually heels, Estrada uh, and Rods. And they would bring, when they bring in a new baby face, um, Vince would go to them and say, you know, how was it? And so he valued their opinion. And they were tough guys, too. I mean, they were they were really good. I mean, they were you know, they were jacked and they were really, really good performers. So, um, yeah, I liked them. They were, um, and they had, they had a little legitimacy, a legitimacy about them. You know, they didn't, um, they didn't get killed. Right. Um, they, they still put a guy over, but right. they put up a fight. Exactly. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Did you have any contact with, uh, Vince over your time? Vince jr. I did. Yeah. Right. right. What Here's was that like? The, it, you know, Vince, he was really, really nice to us. He would see us when we were, you know, we were walking through or we would, they would have like a, they would always have like a big buffet for everybody. And um, when we were walking in, he would say, hey, guys, thank you so much for coming. I appreciate it. He goes, don't forget to eat. There's a, there's a nice, you know, there's a nice buffet out there for you guys. So he was always cool. My dealings with Vince were number one, when I, uh, when I got my head shaved by Brutus, um, Vince went crazy and he, he actually came back and he liked it so much. He told Strongbow that who would pay us. He told me to give me an extra hundred bucks. Nice. Yes. And then a couple weeks later, I was wrestling the guy. I don't know if you remember the one where I was supposed to wrestle DiBiase, and DiBiase said, "I, you know, he's I'm a preliminary bomb, and he's not going to wrestle me." And mm-hmm. so he's got another guy that is going to do a sweat for him, Art Washington. Um, that was all Vince's thing. Vince came up and and he said, "Hey, uh, I want to do this. Would you be okay doing this?" He actually asked me if if I had a problem with it. And I said, no, whatever you want to do. I went over, you know, beat Art in about a minute and a half. And I thought, man, they might start using me for, you know, a little bit more. But um, that was okay. Um, Always nice to us. I never had a problem. I was always a gentleman. Very cool. So, Chris, we're we're out of time. What a fantastic interview. Yes. Um, I want to remind everybody, please. Go get The Job Man if you haven't gotten it already. It's a great book. I loved it. I will be reading it again once I hit the beach this weekend if the weather's right. You're going to take uh, me and Billy Corgan too, right? I might have to bring oh, you boy. and Billy Corgan. So what we're going to do to finish out the show, Chris, is we got something called the Pharaoh's Final Question. This is an unscripted question where it just comes straight from the Pharaoh's head. So have at it, Jimmy, the Pharaoh's Final Question. Now, if you hear an echo, Chris, I apologize because that's the space between my ears. Anyway, <laughs> I wanted to ask you. By the way, a pumpkins. <laughs> yeah, pretty, pretty good, pal. Thank, thank you. Very thank smart. You. I caught that right there, away. There you good go. Job. There you go. I wanted to ask you, Chris, while we have you on the show tonight, and thanks again. You were awesome interview. Uh, can thank you give you. me your Mount Rushmore of jobbers? Wow. Uh, give me four jobbers that would be the epitome of your art. Uh, well, I would go with, uh, two of them would be the Malkies. All right. And then I would probably go the other two. Um, 
probably the, the two guys that you mentioned before. Um, Rods and Estrada. Estrada. Sure. I, nice. Not nice. A, not a problem there. Exactly. That works. But Barry Horowitz is going to call us tomorrow. He's going to be pissed. Well, because he's not the jobber. He's talent enhancement. Well, that's true. <laughs> I guess it's go. a free well, pass they, for Barry on this one then. All right. They can, they can, they can put up a, a statue of Barry and I to – Together and kind of like glaring at each with other the, with, the, with the Brooklyn Brawler. We might have to bring you, know, bring you both you. in here oh, yeah, and maybe have a brawl. Brooklyn Brawler too of Steve Lombardi. There you go. Yeah. There you go. By the way, Russell Campbell says, "Great job, Chris." No pun intended. No pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's all I can do is I just want to do my job right. <laughs> That's sure it, did, brother. You sure you know, did, <laughs> Chris. I want to thank Russell. you again, man. What a pleasure, and I look forward to having you back on the show. And I look forward to speaking with you again. You're a fantastic human being, and what a great interview. We have so much thank more you. to talk about. We hope to talk to you soon. Love it. Thank you guys so much. I really appreciate it. It's an honor. All right, brother. Thanks, Chris. Peace, brother. Thank you. All right, Jimmy. What'd you think? Nice job. Pretty good. Nice job. Nice job. That was, that was great. I thought that was great. I got to tell you, this uh, Chris has got tons of stories. We didn't even cover half the stories. I know. And, and really? the, the hour just flew by, and I never well, even say ever say that's the, mark the hour of a, flew by. That's the mark of a great conversation there because we might be interviewers but we like to talk to people that was awesome that i want i want to thank everybody for joining us tonight i hope you enjoyed this interview again please support chris um this book is a great read for professional wrestlers by all means go on to uh, amazon get the book it's fantastic um one thing i want to mention is pulsar light said is there any frankie williams t-shirts out on ebay interesting i said if there is please pick up one for you and me does it say i tried uh, it, and on you the know back, what i tried really hard we might have to that would be we cool. might have to make one of those That's i love not a bad Fra- i idea. love frankie williams that'd be great anyway we want to thank you all uh, upcoming shows next thursday we've got lee cole in studio uh, he's got a couple of things to reveal and um, look forward to that. And then on Monday, mm-hmm. we have um, Baby Doll with the 28th. Matt, is it, is it the 28th for Baby I Doll? Thank is. you. There you go. And Very then nice. on August 5th, Matt, correct me, I don't have it down here. We've got tribute to New Jack. Um, yeah. The life and times of New Jack in studio With will be super, super crazy. Super crazy! And, Musta- and? and Mustafa. Nice. That's awesome. And July 31st, we have um, Joel Gertner. Oh, my. Well, well, well. In studio. Joel Gertner. I love Joel Gertner. Look at man. you loving I, Joel Gertner. EC Dub, baby. EC Dub. Fantastic. And we've got MTV star. Uh, let me get my act together. Hey, is that the big... Marissa Jade in Dude. studio. So, is that the big brother thing? That's the big brother ah, thing, brother. Ah, Hey, real quickly, I'd like to give Go a shout-out to uh, Monty and the Pharaoh's favorite couple, uh, Rocco and uh, Rosemary Spano over in Port Jefferson Station. Just want to give them a shout-out. We love you guys. Thank you very much for the support. Keep a lookout on your mailbox, too. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. uh, uh, We really appreciate the support. We want to thank everybody for support you're giving us out there also. We look forward to talking to you guys soon. Great comments, by the way, today, guys. Thank you. Yeah, excellent comments. Russell's hilarious. Everybody's hilarious. And thanks again. It's an honor to be able to put on a show and you guys watching and uh, enjoying. It means all the world to us. Anyway, this has been Long Island's number one pro wrestling broadcast, Monty. 
Tina Farrow. This is Mike Monty. This is Jimmy Farrow. And until next time, later. <laughs>